prayer for yourselves. We all need to be spirit-led of God in everything that we do. I do want to first of all thank you all for being here this evening. Thank you for making the study of the Word of God a priority in your life. I know that there's a lot of other places you could be tonight, so I want to thank you uh, for being here. But I can tell you this, if we get into the Word of God and get a hold of His truth, there is no place that will be more beneficial to you uh, than what you're going to get a hold of tonight. Because God's Word is life-changing. Can you say amen? God's Word is precious to us. It's powerful for us in our lives if we take that truth and apply it unto ourselves. All of God's Word is precious. I'm especially excited about the book of Romans tonight. But all of God's Word is precious to you as a believer. And if you're here tonight and you're not yet a believer, it's precious to you as well. For God's Word not only changes our lives right now, but it also changes our eternity. When we take that truth, believe by faith, uh, and follow the Lord. And so uh, God's Word is, uh, is three things for us. I want to get a hold of that tonight. Why is it so precious for me? Why is it precious for you? Number one, God's Word is real. If you believe God's Word is real, say amen. amen. When I'm talking about God's Word being real, I want you to know that the Word of God is not just an ancient letter written to ancient peoples, but the Word of God is, listen, Holy Spirit inspired. God the Holy Spirit inspired men, His men, to write down His truth because He loves you and He loves me. And so what we have is God breathed in the 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We have God's truth uh, for each and every one of us. So it's real. It means something. It's not just ancient words written to an ancient people, but it's relevant for my life. That's the second thing that I want you to know. God's word is relevant for you. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, listen what the Bible says about itself. It says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now what does it mean when the Bible says about itself that it's quick? That word quick um, uh, can be translated alive. And so what's the Bible making the claim to being? It's, it's making the claim of being a living book. Now what do we mean when we say that the Bible is alive? What does it mean when it says about itself that it's alive? It does not mean that it's still growing, that it's still being added to, that it's changing. That's not what it's talking about. Let me tell you what I know to be true. I know we have the complete revelation of who God is, who we are, and how much we need Him written down on the 66 canonized books of the Bible. We have all of God's Word, His inspired Word, His revelation to us right here from Genesis to Revelation. We don't need anything else. Let me say that again. We don't need anything else. Amen. We have everything we need right here in His precious Word. Now there's some other things that we can talk about. There's some other things that we can look into. But when it comes to the foundational revelation, the truth of who God is, who we are, listen to me folks, and how much we need Him, that is found right here between Genesis and Revelation. We have the complete revelation of God in the Bible. I believe that with all my heart. It doesn't mean that God's word changes or is being added, added unto, but what it means is God's word is relevant for your life. It's not, uh, again, just words on a page, but truth that impacts your daily living. Truth that you need and truth that I need. It's relevant for the problems I face. It's relevant for the questions I have. Problems in your marriage can be answered in God's word. Problems in your parenting can be answered in God's Word. Problems in your workplace with your workmates can be answered in God's Word. Listen to me. 
Get a hold of this. Problems in your church can and should and can only be answered through and by God's Word. If you've got problems, if you've got questions, you need to look to the Word of God. And I don't know anybody that ain't got problems and ain't got questions. We all need the truth of God's Word in our lives for it is relevant for us. It's real. It's relevant. Let me tell you something else, though. How do you know it's ready? It's ready. It's given to us for a purpose. Do you realize that the God of heaven and earth, the God who spoke the stars into existence, I'm talking about the star-breathing, mountain-moving, sea-splitting, demon-rebuking God that we read about on the pages of Scripture has written down His truth for you and me. The one who created life has given us the book about life. It's relevant and it's ready for you. If you'll take it and apply it, unto yourself. That's why I say nothing will be more beneficial to you and to me tonight if we dig into God's truth and then take that truth and make application in our lives. But that's what you got to do. You got to apply, you got to apply it. I love Dr. Tony Evans, one of my favorite preachers. Dr. Evans always says it like this and he's right, God's word works if you work it. But you got to work it. It'll work in your life, it'll work with your problems, it'll work with your questions, it'll work with everything that you're facing. But you've got to work it, you've got to apply it. Now I'm glad you're here on a Wednesday night. Now, let me tell you what I want y'all to do. I want y'all to go and let everybody know that we're still having church on Wednesday night. Somebody say amen to that. Go, go tell everybody, because evidently some people have forgotten. So you go tell them that we're still having church on Wednesday night. You need to get faithful. We've got to get faithful. We've got, we got to be where we need to be so God can do what he wants to do. We've got, we got to get faithful. We've got to get... Listen to me. I want you to get a hold of this. If you'll dig deep into God's truth and apply it to yourself, it'll change your heart and life. And I'm thankful you're here on a Wednesday night. I'm thankful that you made the, took the, the, the time to be in the study of the Word of God. That's a powerful thing. But now listen, if, we, if all we do is come and listen to what God's Word says but don't apply what we've heard, then it's not going to be beneficial to us. We've got to take what we hear from God's truth and then apply it in our workplace tomorrow. Apply it in our family tonight. Apply it concerning our marriage. Uh, listen, apply it and so that we might know what God wants, but then go out and do it so that we might be what God's called us to be. So it takes application. It's good for you to come on a Wednesday night. It's good for you to come to praise God if you come into Sunday school, if you come into Sunday morning worship, Sunday night worship. If you come in all that, praise the Lord. But now listen, that's a great thing. But we've got to learn to apply this stuff to our lives daily. Amen. See, church, church services have to be more than a pep rally. And don't get me wrong now, I'm all about a pep rally. I think you ought to be fired up about serving Jesus. I'm not for being dead and dull and, and just getting by and going through the motions. And if that's what you're in it for, you're probably in the wrong church. That's not what we're going to do. That's not what I want to do. And that shouldn't be what you want to do. So I think we ought to be passionate about worshiping the Lord and coming to be together as a body of Christ and worshiping Him in these services. But it has to be much more than just a pep rally. It's got to change hearts and change lives if it's truly going to be beneficial. But that can only happen when I take God's truth and apply it to myself and you take God's truth and apply it to yourself. That's how this works. So it's ready. 
It's relevant and it's real. It's kind of like my dad used to tell me and my two brothers. I had two brothers growing up, and um, in, in the summertime, outside was where we stayed. And there's a reason for that, because when I was growing up, we didn't have but three channels. We had four out of Columbus, Mississippi. We had nine out of Tupelo, Mississippi. And if we were lucky, we'd get Channel 12, which was PBS. Now, nobody wanted to watch PBS unless Bob Ross was on. If Bob Ross was on, I could sit and listen to that brother or watch that brother paint all day long. I love some Bob Ross. But if Bob Ross wasn't on, they wasn't nothing worth watching that I ever thought on PBS. All right? Now, we, we couldn't watch four because Mama's stories come on about 1030. What was it? Young and the Restless, I think, would come on Channel 4. And then about 1 o'clock, maybe, maybe 2 o'clock, something like that, Days of Our Lives, would come on Channel 9. And so that day was shot. You weren't going to watch Channel 4. You weren't going to watch Channel 9. Listen, you didn't want to watch Channel 12 because that was PBS, so outside's all you had. So and during the summertime, we'd go outside from the time we got up to the time it was really the, uh, time to come in and eat supper. We'd be out playing in the woods, man, uh, riding bicycles, making trails, making forts, and just doing all the stuff that boys do. I grew up in God's country at the foot of Bull Mountain and, and, and Boar Tree Bottom. That's God's country. And so it wasn't nothing but woods all around us everywhere. And we, took, we made good use of them. We was always out doing something, playing together, man, having a good time and loving life. And then we'd come back in that evening, and we walked in the house. My dad would be getting home from work, and he'd sit there for a minute. I've heard him say many times, boys, you've got to get in there and get you a bath because you smell like three little wolves. That's what he'd always tell us. And he was right. We'd been out sweating and playing and getting dirty all day long, and, man, we needed a bath when we got in. Now, there's only one problem with that. My brother, my middle brother, hated taking a bath, Clyde. He hated it, never wanted to take a bath. Matter of fact, my dad used to have to make him take a bath. And he thought he was outsmarting dad. He would just get in there for about one to two minutes, just long enough to look like he had had a bath, just long enough to get his hair wet, then he'd jump back out, but dad caught on to it. He'd say, son, come over here, I gotta, gotta give you the smell test. And so he'd smell of him after he got out of the shower. And if he didn't smell like uh, soap, guess what happened? He went back in the shower. And he sat us all three down. He says, boys, let me tell you something. Y'all have all got a problem. You stink. You're dirty. You're nasty. You've been out playing all day, which is good. There's nothing wrong with that, but you've got to get clean. He said, now, we've got a solution for that problem. That solution is soap. But if you don't take that soap and apply it to your nasty body, it's never going to fix your problem. I've thought about that several times with the Word of God. You know, the same is true with God's Word. We've all got a problem. We've got a sinful condition, each and every one of us. We are all fallen creatures in a fallen creation. We've all displeased God and rebelled against Him, each and every one of us. And so all of our problems are the same. The, the truth be, the root of all of our problems comes back to sin. Now the book of Romans is going to share with us how we can take God's truth, apply it to our lives, and it'll make a difference. It can fix our problems. Praise God. But we've got to apply it. We've got to apply it to ourselves. And so, man, this is powerful stuff. I cannot wait uh, to get into it with you. It must be applied. It is precious. The book of Romans is especially precious. It's especially powerful. The book of Romans is foundational teaching on the truth that we're all sinners standing in need of a Savior that none of us can make ourselves right with God by our good deeds. None of us can make ourselves acceptable to a holy God who is truly righteous. 
We must trust in Him and receive the free gift of grace if we're going to be justified by faith. Can you say amen? amen. That's what Romans teaches us. And man, I, can, I, I love it. It's, it's a powerful, precious book that needs to be applied to our lives. Romans is said by many to be Paul's greatest work. Now, we studied through the book of Ephesians, and we called Ephesians the mountaintop epistle for a reason. Um, and it was fantastic. But many believe, and I don't know if I'm ready to say it, but many believe Romans is still Paul's greatest work even after Ephesians. But listen to what Martin Luther, the great reformer, the head, uh, the leader of the Reformation said about the book of Romans. He said, the true masterpiece of the New Testament and the very purest gospel Watch how he puts this. Which is well worthy and deserving that a Christian man should not only learn it by heart, word for word, but also that he should daily deal with it as the bread for men's souls. That's good stuff. We can daily deal with and use the book of Romans as bread for some hungry people. And how many of you know, that's truly all I am. I'm just one beggar trying to tell another beggar where I found bread. And that's truly what you are. And nothing more. We're going to talk in just a moment about the pridefulness of man. We're going to talk about uh, the sin of the braggart. We're going to talk about the one who thinks himself more worthy than what he really is. We all need to understand we're just a beggar. Trying to tell some more beggars where we found bread. Romans is bread for hungry men's souls. Wow, I like that. It can never be too much or too well studied. And the more it is handled, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. <laughs> That's pretty good. Amen. Samuel Coleridge, the great Bible commentator and theologian of the uh, mid-1800s, he said the book of Romans is the most profound writing that, that has ever existed. J. Vernon McGee, who I love, said, let me urge you to do something that will pay amazing dividends. Read the book of Romans and read it regularly. The epistle requires all the mental makeup that we have. I, I like that. How many of you know, as, we talk about this a lot in Sunday school, but as a believer, you need to understand God never called you to take your mind out and put it in a drawer somewhere. Faith is not blind faith. True faith is not a leap in the dark. True faith, I believe, is based upon logical reason of the facts. And the facts are this. Jesus died for my sin and for your sin. He was put in the ground, but he didn't stay there. Praise God, three days later, we have proof that he rose again. I witness account straight from Scripture of men who seen him after his resurrection, after his crucifixion. So faith is logically reasoned beliefs based upon facts. It will take all of our mental makeup, J. Vernon McGee says, and I agree with him, if we're going to understand the book of Romans. But it takes more than just our uh, um, a mental ascent to the gospel message. Listen to what else he says. He says, and in addition, it must be bathed in prayer. That's why I keep telling y'all, man, if you want better preaching, let me tell you what I got to get. Better praying. You want better preaching? Me too. 
You need it, I need it, we all need it. I get it before you get it, but if you want better preaching, I need better praying. I need you to pray that God gives me direction, that God gives me boldness, that God fills me up with his power so that I might make known the mystery of the gospel. You pray for my preaching, you pray for my understanding, and you pray for your understanding. And it's through prayer and supplication and logically thinking about and meditating upon this great truth that we're going to get a hold of something that'll change our lives that's the book of Romans but it's going to take that it's going to take some mental thought but spiritual power brought about by prayer and supplication but that's what all of this takes isn't it that's what every ministry we have must have the power of God the anointing of the Lord. That's what I pray for every time I stand before you, that God anoints me. Because folks, I cannot do this. You can't either. We need Jesus, don't we? I'm telling you, I need him just as much today as the day he saved me. You do too. We've got to be desperate for him. He said it must be bathed in prayer and supplication so that the Holy Spirit can teach us. Us. We're all learning together. By the person of the Holy Spirit. Yet every Christian should make an effort to know Romans, for this book will ground the believer in faith. Well, I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want to be grounded in my faith. Amen? (laughs) I want to be planted like the tree by the waters. Like the old song says, if you planted like the tree by the waters, you shall not be moved, and I won't either. But we got to get a good grounding in our faith. We got to know what we believe and why we believe it. Boy, Romans does just that. It tells us what we should believe and why we should believe it. The book of Romans is the first epistle. You can separate the books of the Bible into six categories. First of all, you have the books of the law. That's the first five books that Moses wrote. It's called the Pentateuch. And listen, those books of the law, um, those first five are extremely important. Then you have in the Old Testament books of history. Then you have books of poetry. Then you have books of prophecy. Then starting in the New Testament, you have the books of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you have the epistles. And the epistles are the letters of the apostles. Now tonight, who can define for me what an apostle is? Somebody that saw the risen Jesus, absolutely. Somebody that saw the Lord. And so the the epistle to the Romans was written by none other than the apostle born out of due season, the apostle Paul. Now why was it said that the apostle Paul was born out of due season? He didn't see Jesus while Jesus was here in his earthly ministry, but he did see Jesus when? You remember? On the road to Damascus. Paul's on the road to Damascus. He's traveling to persecute the church. He's at that time the foremost persecutor of the church. Not only is he imprisoning Christians, but he was the same one who held the coats of those who stoned Stephen to death as Stephen was crying out to the Lord. And so not only was he imprisoning Christians, persecuting them, he was killing them. And he thought he was doing God's work. 
He thought he was doing what was right under the law. He was doing everything he could to kill Christianity. And then out of nowhere, the Christ of Christianity met him on the road to Damascus. The Bible says, and we'll, we're going to go back and read that later on. I'm not going to tonight. But in the testimony of the Apostle Paul, as he stood before King Agrippa, the Apostle Paul said he was on his way to Damascus and there was a bright light that shone around him. And then the Lord Jesus spoke to Paul. And that day, Paul answered the call to become a Christian. Saul, who was persecuting Christians, became Paul, who was preaching to Christians and others. The foremost persecutor of the gospel, by the power of God, became the foremost preacher of the gospel. The apostle Paul, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and by his power, went on three missionary journeys all over the known world. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. I actually believe he wrote the book of Hebrews as well. I think he wrote 14 books. I don't know that, but I believe if you read the, uh, the, the, the book of Hebrews and then you compare it with the other writings of the Apostle Paul, I'm telling you, it's bad close. I think it's very possible that he wrote the book of Hebrews. But we know he wrote 13 books in the New Testament, went on missionary journeys all over the world, starting churches everywhere. And the church that we have today is based upon the epistles, the writing of the Apostle Paul. I, in my estimation, no one has done more for the cause of Christ other than the Lord Jesus than the Apostle Paul. This brother did an amazing work by God's power. And so he's the writer and he begins writing the book of Romans in the first 11 chapters. There's a chapter division after chapter 11. In chapters 1 through 11, he deals with doctrine. Now, who can define for me what doctrine is? Teaching, teaching? absolutely. He's teaching what we should believe. Doctrine is what, what you believe and why you believe it, all right? Paul is teaching doctrine in 1 through 11, showing us who God is. Now, that's, that's an amazing thing. He's telling us all in, in those first 11 chapters about the righteous, holy God who's sitting in heaven. And, and I like that. I like that. Because, folks, listen to me. We will never know how much we need God until we understand who God is. Until we understand the character of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, we will never understand our need for God's grace. We must first of all get a right picture of who God is before we can understand how much we need Him. And to be saved, you've got to understand how much you need Him. A dear friend of mine that's went on to be with the Lord I remember something he always said, Brother Kitty Cantrell. He would always say this. He'd say, Brother Israel, we've got to get people lost before we can get them saved. <laughs> and he's right. Until a person understands the holy, righteous nature of God, they will never understand their own sinful nature. And until they understand their sinful nature, they'll never see their need for a Savior who took the, play, the place for them on the cross and took the punishment for their sin. Is this making sense to you? So these first 11 chapters of, are of vital importance because it teaches us the doctrine of the righteousness of God. But then in, verse, in chapters 12 through 16, he moves on from doctrine and begins teaching about duty. What I, what I mean when I say duty? Well, 
the Apostle Paul told Timothy that we should endure hardness as a good soldier. See, what we all got to understand is when we were born again into God's family by his power, the moment we trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, you were born into a family. Do you know that? We're going to read in Romans chapter 8 when we get there, and I can't wait to get there. That's my favorite chapter in all the Word of God. But Romans chapter 8 tells us plainly that, uh, verse number 15, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption. Everybody say adoption. adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so the moment we trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, that sin that separated us from a holy God, when we trusted in Jesus for forgiveness, and listen, by faith, the blood of Christ was applied to our heart and life. Our sins were washed clean, and that which brought the separation was taken away from. Then the Bible says we were reconciled back to God by the shed blood of His Son. Now listen, at that moment, you were born again, spiritually speaking into God's family. The Bible teaches you can be born twice and die once or be born once and die twice. And it all depends on the decision you make concerning Jesus. Now I'm thankful I can tell you tonight with assurance that I've been born twice. Dr. Don Smith, one of my teachers, always said this. I love Brother Don. Brother Don always said there's two great things in the world. The first great thing in the world is to know that you can be saved. He said, but what's even greater than that is to know that you are saved. And I'm glad I know I are saved. <laughs> now, how about you? I don't know where you're at, but I'm just telling you. It's one thing to know you can be saved, but to know that you are saved is a powerful thing. Amazing. You're talking about peace that passeth all understanding, peace for living, peace for dying, peace for today, peace for tomorrow. When you know Jesus, you know peace, for he is the Prince of Peace. I'm not saying everything's always going to be hunky-dory and hallelujah. I'm not saying it's always going to be strawberries and cream in every area of your life. You are going to have problems just like everybody else. The Christian walk, the Christian faith, the relationship you have with God is not about the absence of problems, but about the addition of God's power to help you through whatever problem you face. So you are born again into a family. You've received the spirit of adoption whereby you cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. You have that right relationship with God the Father through the person of Jesus. But now let me tell you something else. You are also enlisted in an army. Amen. We used to sing a song when I was a kid at Vacation Bible School. I'm in the Lord's army. I may never fight any infantry or shoot the artillery but I'm in the Lord's army isn't that right there's truth in that good theology in that because you've been enlisted in an army with the captain of your salvation being none other than the Lord Jesus and he leads us and guides us into battle daily as we fight against our foe who is Satan the forces of darkness that are in this world we have three enemies our three enemies are Satan himself, the world, and the flesh, according to the book of 1 John. And we are called to be good soldiers, enduring hardships, just like Paul told Timothy. And it is our duty as believers to stand for Jesus daily. So he tells us about the doctrines of God in chapters 1 through 11. Then he says, now this ought to impact your life. 
Here's your duty. If you've truly got a hold of the right doctrine, you'll also have duty. I believe is what he's saying. Not only does he uh, talk to us about doctrine and duty, but he also talks to us about theology and practice. But chapters 1 through 11, he, he shares with us theology. Now, if you put ology on the end of anything, what does that mean? The study of. All right, if you're talking about cosmology, we're talking about the study of the cosmos of the universe. If we're talking about biology, we're talking about the study of life. Or, or, or the bios means life. And so when, if we're talking about theology, what are we talking about? We're talking about the study of God. The nature of God because theos is the Greek word for God. And so he gives us theology in chapters 1 through 11. He, he shares with us the nature of God. Amen. I love Brother Sean Doss. I, I don't know that I've ever met an, a more effective preacher of the gospel. I'm talking about on a one-on-one -on -one basis with lost sinners than Sean Doss. I, I love going witnessing with that brother. The Lord uses him as an evangelist in an amazing way. But he always says something. He always says, man, if you're going to be effective in witnessing, you've got to start with the character of God. That's where it starts. Men have to see that. That's where Paul starts. The theology of God, the nature of God, the study of who God is. But then he goes from chapters 12 through 16, he, he talks to us about practice. Amen. See, our theology ought to bring about practice. And what I mean by practice is our living in a way that would be pleasing to the God we've studied about. Doctrine leads to duty. Theology leads to right practice. Now, listen to me. If your theology does not lead to practice, you've got a wrong theology. Amen? You say, oh, brothers, does that mean we're going to be perfect? No. I'm sorry to say it doesn't. But let me tell you what it also doesn't mean. It also doesn't mean that I've got a license to sin and do whatever I want. We should never cheapen God's grace. See, I'm never going to be perfect. And I know grace and mercy is available for me daily. But we're going to see in the book of Romans that, listen to me now, Paul said, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, God forbid. Why? Because we've got a right idea of who God is. God's holy, God's righteous, God is just, and he sent his son to die for our sins. Folks, that don't make me want to see how far I can go and still be a child of God. That makes me want to walk as closely with the Lord as I can so that I can please the God who sent his son to save me. Amen. Theology ought to dictate practice. And we ought to perfectly purpose daily to walk in a way, to live in a way that's pleasing unto Jesus. We've got to relinquish our will to His will. We've got to make a conscious choice every day to say, God, it's not me, but it's you. It's not what I want, but what you want. We've got to make a conscious choice daily to pray and say, God, lead God and direct me. Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. We've got to make a conscious choice daily to spend time in prayer, a conscious choice daily to spend time in the Word. And when we start getting a hold of who God is, it's definitely going to change who we are. Amen? Doctrine, duty, theology, practice has to follow one another. Dr. Jeffrey Jeremiah says that he talks about believing and doing. Amen? 
believing in Jesus will certainly change how you live your life. He teaches about believing in the God of the Bible, the God of heaven and earth in chapters 1 through 11. Then he talks about doing in chapters 12 through 16, what that looks like. Believing, having faith, will change what we do. Again, good works are not the reason for salvation. Good works are the result of salvation. What I do does not save me. But if I've been saved, it'll change what I do. Remember me telling you a few weeks ago when we studied uh, the prodigal son and, and uh, the, the story of the prodigal son and the prodigal pig from 2 Peter? Do you remember me telling you that nature determines direction and direction determines what? Do y'all remember what I said? Destiny. When you get the right nature, it's going to determine your direction. It's going to point you in the right way. It's going to give you a desire. Amen. Nature determines desire. Desire determines direction. Direction determines destiny. Amen. And I think that's what Paul is teaching here. Once you've been born again, you receive the nature of your father. How many of you know when I was born physically speaking, uh, December the 23rd, 1978, I was born to the family of Brian and Diane Price. And there's an old song that many of you probably heard. It's an old country song. And I, I think it was George Strait that might have sung it. I'm seeing my father in me. And that's how it ought to be. Y'all remember that old song? There's a lot of truth in that. A lot of truth in that. I, I can remember my dad saying stuff that I thought were crazy when I was a kid. We'd be sitting in the house, middle of the summer. We'd run in the house and leave the door standing wide open. My dad would say something like, boys, shut the door. We're not trying to cool the whole neighborhood. Or my favorite, are you born in a barn? You ever heard that one? I think, man, that is so, why is he saying that? And then I had kids of my own. And I'm sitting in my house one day. They come through in the summertime, leave the door standing wide open. Before I even thought about it, I said, are y'all, man, are y'all born in a barn? Shut the door. And I thought back to what my father had said. And now I, I think about the things dad did. And I see a lot of myself. There's a lot of him in myself. Why? Because I was born into his family. I have that physical nature. Amen? I had a, little, I had a lady at Walmart the other day. She walked up to me and Gage was walking down the aisle. And I hadn't saw her in years. She walked up. And we got talking. She said, who's this? And I said, well, this is my son, Gage. She said, I ought to know it. He looks just like you. Well, pray for him. That's what I told her. Maybe he'll grow out of it. I'm just saying, you receive the nature of your father physically. The same is true in the spiritual. You receive the nature of God, spiritually speaking, when you're born into his family. And that spiritual nature that comes by the person of the Holy Spirit living in you gives you a new desire which determines your direction, which ultimately determines your destiny. So, faith, listen to me now, faith is futile if it don't change our lifestyle. Faith 
that don't change how you live is not biblical faith. Right? Because I look at the man who wrote this scripture. And when he placed his faith in Jesus, everything changed. I look at Peter. Y'all remember old Peter? I'm convinced that if there was a Highway 19 that ran through Jerusalem, Peter lived on it. I mean, he's my kind of guy. He's my kind of folks. Y'all remember him? Foul mouth, switchblade carrying, redneck Peter? How did he go from being Simon to being Peter, the rock? Peter in the Greek is Petros, which means rock. How did he go from being Simon, which actually means a little pebble or a stone? Jesus said, now from now on, you ain't going to be Simon. You're going to be Peter, which means a rock you can build a house on, a firm foundation. And you're no longer going to be fishermen of fish. You're going to now be fishermen of men. Now listen, the sanctification process for Peter was a process. Amen. Y'all going to think about that on the way home. The sanctification process, it was a process for Peter, but it's also a process for me. How many know this is a growing, it, it, I'm growing in my face still. And um, you are too. What's the old song? He's still working on me to do what? To make me what I ought to be? Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars, but he's still working on me. And then the song says something about don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part. He's still working on all of us. But my point is this. The process of sanctification ought to be happening in a true believer's life. Why? Because of that desire brought about by the nature of God. So that's the introduction to the book of Romans. And we're going to see all of this as we, as we go through it. But tonight, I just want to go through verses 1 and 2 very quickly. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time and we'll be done. But Romans chapter 1, verse number 1. Watch how Paul identifies himself. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. The word bondservant there in the Greek is the word doulos. Doulos means slave, but not just any slave. Doulos is not an indentured servant. You know what an indentured servant is. An indentured servant is someone who's trying to work off a debt. That's, that's not a bondservant. That's not a doulos. That what Paul is saying is that he is a slave to Jesus, but a doulos is one who is not forced to serve his master, but one who chooses to serve his master. A doulos in the Greek was a slave that had been set free, praise God. A slave that was no longer under bondage. A slave whose master said, you may go free, but because the slave loved the master, he chose to stay and work. You could always spot a doulos in that culture because what they would do was pierce their ear uh, with, with, a, uh, with a doornail. 
And so once you saw that that man's ear had been pierced in a certain way, everybody would know that, yeah, he may be serving his master, but he's staying and serving his master because he chooses to, not because he has to. And so Paul says, listen, I'm a doulos, I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave, but it's not in the negative sense. It's not that I'm having to do this. It's that I get to do this. I love that. Now see, that's where we're missing it, I think, in the modern American church. Church has become something we have to do. Serving God something we have to do. And I've been there just like you. Well, I would love to go and do this and that and that over here, but I have to go to church. A few years ago, a man at my workplace had some Alabama tickets for the Georgia game in Tuscaloosa. He has season tickets for him and his daughter. He calls me up on a Tuesday. He's like, hey, man, my, my daughter can't go to the, we, we big Alabama fans, we talk about it all the time at work, or used to, he's retired now. But we was talking about it back and forth and, and through the week even. And, and about Tuesday, he calls me up and said, listen, my daughter's not going to go Saturday. You want to go with me? I was like, yeah, I want to go with you. Let's do it, man. I can't wait. I said, what time are we leaving? He said, oh, we're going to leave about 7 o'clock. We're just going to tailgate all day. We're standing there all day, going to have a good time. Then we'll go to the game. The game didn't start till 6. I'm like, yeah, man, I can't wait. Georgia and Tuscaloosa? Fired up. Thursday. Brother calls me and says, hey, man, I just want to tell you I'm praying for you for Saturday. I was like, how do you know I was going to the Alabama game? <laughs> He's like, <laughs> he says, I'm praying for you, boy. We can't wait, man. We're praying. You're going to be good. Um, I just know God's got to put something on your heart. And I said, brother, I hate to ask that. What are you talking about? He said, you don't remember? I said, I sure don't. He said, you don't remember me asking you about three months ago to come preach our men's conference this Saturday? I had a men's conference I was preaching in, in New Albany, Mississippi. About 200 guys over there. I said, man, I am so sorry. I just forgot. I'm glad you called. Keep praying. I'm going to need it. <laughs> and so I got off the phone with him. I called up my buddy Marlon at work. I was like, hey, man, um, I'm sorry. You're going to give the ticket to somebody else. I have to preach Saturday night. And boy, when I said that, the Holy Spirit of God just poured out a bucket of conviction on me. It's just like God spoke to my spirit and said, you, ain't got, you don't have to do nothing. Truth is, God don't need me and God don't need you. God will get by just fine without us. But the amazing thing is God wants to use us and will use us and can use us. And what a joy it is to be used by the power of God. So it shouldn't be a have to. It should be a get to. And this is what Paul is saying. I'm a bond servant. Jesus set me free. All things are free for me. But you know what? I want to do what pleases my master. Amen? Boy, that's a picture of what it means to follow Christ. Who said I'm a bondservant? Nah, that's what I wanted to talk to you about too. He could have announced himself in a lot of different ways. He could have said, I'm Paul. The one who at that time, he, when he writes Roman, he's in the, Romans, he's in the middle of his third missionary journey and he's actually spent about three months at Corinth and he's made the decision to travel back to Jerusalem instead of going to Rome. He always wanted to go to Rome, but the churches in Macedonia at that time had given Paul an offering for the church at Jerusalem. 
there was a lot of uh, things going on in Jerusalem, a lot of persecution in the church, and, and those folks didn't have nothing. They didn't have ends meet. And so uh, what the, the churches in Macedonia said, we're going to uh, take up an offering for these believers in Jerusalem. And Paul, we want you to take it back. And so when he got to Corinth, he was already really far west and almost uh, to Rome. And it's where he was headed to. But he thought it would be better to go to Jerusalem and bring that offering that the saints had given the church in Jerusalem. Now, I'm glad he did, because if he hadn't have done that, we wouldn't have the book of Romans. So instead of going to Rome, he went to Jerusalem and wrote a letter to Rome. Now, he didn't just write something on the back of an envelope. He sat down and wrote a letter, a letter that changed everything. That's the book of Romans. Amen? So he could have announced himself in a lot of different ways. He could have said, this is Paul, who was formerly Saul, who met Jesus on the road to Damascus. I was the foremost persecutor of the saints, but guess what? Now I'm the foremost preacher of the saints. He could have said that. He could have said, this is Paul, who was formerly Saul, and I'm right now in the middle of my third missionary journey. And man, I'm out there setting the woods on fire for Christ. He could have said that. This is... This is uh, Paul who was formerly Saul who met Jesus on the road to Damascus. I'm the one who spent all of those years in the desert learning from Christ himself. He could have said that. He could have said, this is Paul and that uh, was formerly Saul. I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Y'all remember that story? Everybody's heard of that story. I know y'all heard of Paul. He could have said that. You know what else he could have said? I'm the one who's called, been called up to the third heaven. That Paul, that's who's writing to you. He could have said all that. No, he didn't say any of that, did he? You know what he said? This is Paul the doulos, the bondservant, the slave to Jesus, who's not serving because he has to, but because he wants to, and he gets to. You know what that says to me? Paul was a humble man. We need some humble men and women. Amen? I don't know about you, but I get sick of braggarts. I'm done with that junk. If you're going to brag, you need to be bragging on Jesus. I'm not at all interested in how smart you are, how much you know. How much do you love? What kind of a doulos are you? That's what I'm interested in. Are you ready to lay down your life for the brethren? That's what I'm interested in. Because that's really what matters. Nobody likes being around the guy that talks about himself all the time. So quit talking about yourself. Lift up Jesus. And if you're not going to lift up Jesus, don't say nothing. Ben, all of us are condemned sinners. And if not for Christ, we have no hope but hell. So remember, Paul, who could have been prideful, chose to be humble because he had a right relationship and fellowship with Jesus that we need to have. Amen? A pastor friend of mine came home from uh, the Dominican Republic And we were sitting down talking. He was telling me about what God was doing in the Dominican Republic. And all at once, he just bust out crying. And um, 
He said, man, I was down there. And I could tell the Lord was doing work on his heart. I've been right where he was sitting. I could just see it. He was crying, sobbing, could barely even talk. And he said, uh, I was talking to the pastor of the church down there, and the gospel's just, man, changing hearts, changing lives. The Lord's doing a great work. And he said that I was going to tell that pastor all that I knew and what he needed to know about church growth. And he said the pastor looked at me and said, God could work just like in America, just like he's working here, but America's too prideful. That broke that brother's heart. His heart was still broke when he got back home. I think we all could use a little humility from time to time. Amen. Any comments or questions, prayer requests?